Welcome back, beloved. Today's video is titled, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And the goal of this video is to get a more clear understanding of this text. When John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to Jesus, finally saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we want to get a real clear understanding of why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? And in order to do that, I want to take you from Genesis all the way through the Bible to the New Testament when John finally sees Jesus. And then I want to give you a clear explanation of the gospel. So why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? It started in the Garden of Eden. We're about 6,000 years ago, about 4,000 years before Jesus is even born. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve are given the first law from God. And we see that the consequences for violating the law of God for sin is death. God said, in the day you eat from the tree, you will surely die. But something amazing happened. When Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they did not die. It's written in Genesis chapter 3 that instead of killing Adam and Eve as punishment for their sin, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. You see, that's the first animal sacrifice. And so the wages of sin is death, but the Lord is revealing to them that he will accept a substitute in their place one day. He even promised them a Messiah who would fix all of this one day, a seed, an offspring, a child. And this is typifying and foreshadowing. It's giving you a fuzzy picture of the work God would do in the place of sinners, what sacrifice God would provide. You see, now we fast forward to Abraham. This is about 4,000 years ago, about 2,000 years before Christ is born. Genesis chapter 22 is one of the clearest gospel and lamb representations in the entire Bible. And it's all written thousands of years before Christ is born. In Genesis 22, the Lord says to Abraham, take your son, your only one whom you love, go forth to the land of Moriah. That's in Jerusalem, right where Jesus died. And offer your son Isaac as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham goes to this mountain in obedience, in faith. And Isaac, his son, he speaks to Abraham and he says, My father, here I am. Uh, Abraham says, Here I am, my son. And Isaac says, Behold, here's the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, and this is so important, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Other translations are God will provide himself as God will be the lamb for the burnt offering. But regardless of the translation, Abraham faith, had faith that God would provide a sacrifice. And so what happens, we all know this story, uh, the sword, Abraham was about to plunge the knife into Isaac and, and the, the angel of the Lord stayed his hand. He said, no, Abraham, don't do that. This was a test. And it was also a foreshadowing of what God the Father would one day do to God the Son on the cross. But in verse 13, right after the Lord says to Abraham, don't do that, Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees, and behold, there's a ram. And it was caught in the thicket by its horns. And he took the ram, and this is important, he offered it up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. You see, this is foreshadowing what the Lamb of God would do, dying as a substitute in the place of. You see, Scripture is revealing through the sacrificial system, through the lambs being offered and the rams and the bulls, 
God is willing to accept a substitute. And Abraham actually called the name of that place, that Mount Moriah, Yahweh will provide. As it is said to this day, in the Mount of Yahweh, it will be provided. That mountain is very important. But what's more important is Abraham says, Yahweh will provide a sacrifice one day. Well, let's fast forward about 500 years. Now we're at about 3,500 years ago. And as we move through time, the foreshadowings get more and more and more clear. In the garden, we don't even know what animal it was. In Genesis 22, we know God will provide a lamb one day. Well, now in Exodus chapter 12, we are at the time of the Passover. This is about 3,500 years ago. Jews still celebrate this holiday today. Okay, this is happening 1,500 years before Christ is even born. And it's very clear now. The Hebrews are in slavery to Egypt. And God is bringing plagues and judgment on the nation of Egypt, on the whole Egyptian empire. And he's saving the Hebrews out of captivity to Egypt. And the final judgment is death. And look at what saves the Hebrews from death. This is incredible. In Exodus chapter 12, they were instructed, take a lamb for every household, slaughter it at twilight, slaughter it at twilight for, this is what God said, I will go through the land of Egypt that night. I will fatally strike all the firstborn from humans, even to animals, even against the gods, the false religion of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And this is how you escape the judgment of God, which is clearly death. He says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood I will pass over you. The wrath of God will not fall upon you because you are under the blood of the lamb. This is all 1500 years before Christ is even born. And you see, this is why uh, in 1 Corinthians, it's written in the New Testament, Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Well, after the Lord, we're still about 3,500 years ago, after the Lord saved the Hebrews out of their captivity to Egypt, he instructed them for the first time to build a religious structure. It was based off heaven, and it was a tabernacle, and it was a mobile structure that went through the wilderness with them. They could pack it up and carry it. And the whole reason he had them build this was so that it would foreshadow and typify how God could dwell among the sons of Israel. How can a holy God dwell with sinful men? How is God going to do this? And this tabernacle was incredible. There was a single door to enter it from the beginning to the end. I made a video, all the temples in the Bible explained. I'll link it in this, in in the notes and in the description, but it's incredible. You walk through a single door and there were many sacrifices, but the first thing that you would see as you walk through a single door, remember Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. You walk through this single door and you see a altar, a big bronze altar, if you're watching. And every morning and every evening, they would slaughter a lamb. There was many different types of sacrifices the Lord instructed them to do, but the most common every morning and every evening, they would sacrifice a lamb. So when you would go to meet God, when you would go into the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God, the house of God, before the absolute first thing, you walk in that tabernacle and a lamb is being sacrificed. Well, fast forward a few hundred years, about 3,000 years ago now, about 1,000 years before Christ is even born, that mobile tabernacle, finally, the Jewish nation, they had their capital city in 
Jerusalem, the same area that Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac on Mount Moriah, that same area where he said Yahweh will provide a lamb one day, that mobile tabernacle, Solomon, King Solomon took that mobile tabernacle and he made it a temple. It was a fixed temple. Think of a castle. He enlarged everything and it's written in scripture that God chose that place, Jerusalem, for himself as a house of sacrifice. And on that day, the day Solomon dedicated the temple, he slaughtered many animals, but you know what the most he slaughtered was? 120,000 sheep. And so it becomes incredibly clear that God is going to provide a great sacrifice, better than any animal you could ever imagine. And so when Solomon dedicated the temple in the same, roughly the same, you know, geographic location that Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, he sacrificed 120,000 lambs, every single one of them pointing towards what the Lord Jesus Christ would accomplish. Now we'll fast forward a little more. This is about 25 to 2,800 years ago. And the Lord sent prophets and they predicted the future five to 800 years before Christ is born. And they began to talk about what the Messiah would do. Daniel, in Daniel, a specific timeline is given where the end of sin will come. Everlasting righteousness will come. The nation of Israel would finish transgression, make an end of sin, and bring in everlasting righteousness. And how would they do that? He says the Messiah will be killed in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. How do you make an end of sin? The Messiah will be cut off, killed, and not for himself. It becomes so clear. Isaiah chapter 53, I quote this all the time. 700 years before Christ is born, now the prophets say, someone is coming, a suffering servant, a Messiah, who will be pierced through for our transgressions. Isaiah goes on to say, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to his own way, but Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, and that he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. So now you see with thousands of years of history from the Garden of Eden to Abraham to Passover to the tabernacle to the temple to the prophets, everyone was looking forward to the Lamb of God who was truly a saint. And unfortunately, much of the Jewish nation were not walking with the Lord and were not looking for the Messiah, but John the Baptist was. And so when he finally sees Jesus, he says, be Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is what Yahweh has provided as a sacrifice. This is the Messiah. This is the one who can save his people from their sins. And now I want to give you a very detailed explanation of the gospel so that you can explain this to others. How does the Lamb do this? How does the Lamb take away the sin of the world? And in order to understand the good news, you have to understand the bad news. You have to understand the law of God from Genesis chapter 2 all the way to the New Testament. Romans chapter 3 says, We know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and the whole world may become accountable to God. My friends, by the deeds of the law, no one will be justified. God gave the law, and the law is holy and righteous and good, but it can't save you. It's there to kill you. Okay, I mean, if the law thou shalt not murder, even in our society, if you kill someone, you're going to go to prison. You could possibly be executed and given the death penalty. But by not killing someone, you haven't done anything good, right? And so the law cannot save you, can only damn you. 
That doesn't make the law evil. The law is good. It reveals the righteous character of God. However, on judgment day, your mouth will be closed. You will realize the spiritual nature of the law, how holy God is, that if you even look at somebody with lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. You have violated the holy law of God. Jesus told a parable about being self-righteous. He spoke of throwing a great wedding feast and, and a great uh, you know celebration for a wedding. And somebody came into that wedding, came into heaven, and he says, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless, just like the law closes people's mouths. On judgment day, people will try and enter into heaven still in the fig leaves, just like in the Garden of Eden, still with their own self-righteousness. They'll actually think they're good people, whereas Jesus said no one is good but God. And on that day, the law of God will convict them and they will see the holiness of God and the depravity of mankind. And they will be speechless. They will have nothing to say on that day. No one is good but God. Romans chapter 3 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned against God. That means we all deserve death. The first death, the physical death, and the second death, hell. And Jesus warned about that place. And this is how it works. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. Therefore, we all deserve to die. If God was only just, if he was only perfectly just, every human being would go to hell. Even Abraham, even David, even Solomon. Every human being would go to hell if God was only just. Because we owe God a massive debt we cannot pay. That is bad news. But the good news is God is not only just. He is infinitely just, but he is also infinitely love and grace and mercy. And so the wages of sin is death, but the free, number one, to gift, free gift. It's reiterated. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here's the lamb again. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, we read, God displayed Jesus Christ publicly as a propitiation in his blood. You see, the death of Jesus Christ satisfies the wrath of God. Propitiation literally means that the wrath of God is turned away from people for whom Christ has died because on the cross, God unleashed his wrath on Jesus so that he could unleash his blessings upon you. God did this publicly. Jesus Christ is the most well-known person in human history. It is known. It has been publicized to the whole world. And what God wants people to do is look into what Christ did on the cross and believe in that. Believe in Jesus as a sacrifice for your sins because this gift is given through faith. You have to believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God. You have to believe that he died for your sins. You have to trust his righteousness and forsake your own self-righteousness. And God did this, this is important, for a demonstration of his righteousness. Because in the patience, in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. And God did this for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time, so that, very important, he would be just. God is infinitely just. He will punish every sin that has ever been committed. He is also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's very clear. Every sin that has ever been committed in God's creation will be judged. You can bear that penalty for all eternity, or you can turn to Jesus who bore it for you. 
Romans chapter 8 says, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, we cannot fulfill the law. We are not good. No human being deserves anything but eternal hell. However, because we could not do that, we were weak. We cannot fulfill the law. God did. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. He lived a perfect life. And so what we could not do, we could not fulfill the law. God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And here's the lamb as an offering for sin. And then we read God condemned sin in the flesh. God is a just judge. Mankind has sinned. Adam fell in the garden. God demands a perfect man to die in his place. And so God sent his son. Jesus is God. He entered his own creation 2,000 years ago. He was the Lamb of God. And we read, God condemns sin in the flesh. In the flesh of the Messiah and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, God poured forth his wrath. And Jesus bore all that condemnation. Romans chapter 4 said he was delivered over because of our transgressions. Jesus came and died to save the world. He was delivered over because we sinned, but he was raised because of our justification. He rose from the dead as a sign that God's wrath is completely satisfied. Because if you believe in Jesus, all your sins are placed upon him. And if he rose from the dead, that means God is not angry at you anymore. If he took your sins upon the cross, past, present, and future, if God was still angry at you, he'd still be punishing Christ, not you. This is why Christ came. This is good news, my friends. God is willing to accept a substitute. God is willing to deal with you, not based on your sins, not based on what you've done and what you've earned, but based on what Christ has done and what Christ has earned. Christ is willing to credit you his righteousness. And just like Adam and Eve were clothed with skin in the Garden of Eden, Christ is willing to robe you with his wedding garment of perfect righteousness so that for all eternity you can dwell with God again, not based off what you've done, based off what Christ has done. Believe in this today. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved from the wrath to come.